This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad made his first televised address since the onset of last week's deadly earthquake that killed thousands of people in the northern part of the country. He said Thursday that the scale of the disaster and the things that must be done are much greater than available resources. A boy was pulled from earthquake rubble in Hatay, Turkey, in the early hours of Friday morning after surviving for 260 hours. Rescue teams worked through the night, holding lights and filming the rescue and applauding as the youngster was lifted to safety on a stretcher. The quake has killed at least 36,187 people in southern Turkey. Authorities in neighboring Syria have reported 58 800 deaths, a figure that has changed little in recent days. Neither Turkey nor Syria have said how many people are still missing. Michigan State Police said Thursday that the suspect in this week's Michigan State University shootings carried with him a note indicating he felt slighted by former co-workers and others. It was a possible clue to a motive for a shooting that left three students dead and five others injured at the college late on Monday. A police spokesman told reporters at a news briefing Thursday that officials aren't sure what prompted 43-year-old Anthony Duane McRae to open fire on the university campus. McRae died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound after he was later confronted by police. He had no known connection to the university. And two people died Thursday in clashes between anti-hunter protesters and security forces in Guinea, according to the municipal official. This is VOA News. Another disappointing inflation report has uh, thumped Wall Street. AP correspondent Lisa Dwyer reports on the results. Stocks fell by the most in four weeks following more evidence that high inflation is staying stickier than expected. The S&P dropped 1.4 percent after a report said inflation at the wholesale level slowed by less last month than economists had forecast. It echoed a report on prices at the consumer level from earlier this week that suggested inflation isn't cooling as quickly and as smoothly as hoped. The Dow was down 431 points, or 1.3 percent, while the Nasdaq dropped 1.8 percent. Stocks have been churning recently as worries about persistently high inflation could push the Federal Reserve to get even more aggressive on interest rates. While higher rates can drive down inflation, it can also put pressure on investment prices and raise the risk of a serious recession. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Doctors declared U.S. President Joe Biden, who is 80 years old, healthy and fit for duty on Thursday after a physical examination that included removing a lesion from his chest and declaring him free of symptoms of long COVID after he tested positive last year for the coronavirus. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. As you just mentioned, the president has his, his physical this morning. It was very, uh, very much the exam was straightforward. And uh, as you all saw, he returned to the White House to get back to work. The exam was closely watched as Biden prepares for his expected run for a second term in the presidency in 2024. The U.K.'s main opposition leader, Keir Starmer, met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv on Thursday. The Labour Party leader met Zelensky after a visit to Irpin and Bucha on the capital's outskirts, where numerous atrocities, including killings, were documented in the aftermath of the Russian withdrawal. The United States is imposing visa restrictions on five people and seven family members related to street gangs and criminal organizations in Haiti. 
This according to Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Thursday. In a statement, he said the action sends a clear message of the United States' continued commitment to root out corruption and impact the behavior of bad actors whose influence underpins the lawlessness in Haiti. The State Department also announced Thursday that it condemns Nicaragua's decision to strip nationality from 94 of its citizens and the revocation of citizenship from 222 political prisoners that Managua released last week. Colombia and Venezuela on Thursday signed an agreement to revive trade between the two countries. This happened during a ceremony on a border bridge. Both the Colombian president, Gustavo Petro, and Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro, signed the document. More at our website, voanews.com. From Washington, I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butter in Washington. Today is Friday, February 17. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Nigeria's president extends currency swap deadline to ease transition. I'm addressing you to identify with you and express my sympathy over the difficulties being experienced as we continue the implementation of new monetary policies. Protesters clashed with Guinean security forces on Thursday. South Sudan First Vice President urges South Sudanese women to get organized. Ugandan President Museveni praises conservative religious leaders' views on sexual minorities. Equatoria Guinean Vice President's super yacht and properties are seized in South Africa. Equatorial Guinea is one of the poorest countries in Africa, even though they've got all of these resources. So that means that the revenue of the oil that is coming into the country is not channeled and used for the benefit of the country, but for the political elite. And the cost of living continues to rise in the Republic of Congo. Those stories plus our Black History Month facts for today and something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari has again extended a deadline for older currency notes to remain legal tender following a violent protest over a shortage of cash. Buhari said the 200 Naira note would be allowed back into circulation until April 10, but higher-value old notes would not. Nigeria's central bank introduced a new currency late last year, but only gave citizens a few weeks to exchange old bills for the new, sparking outrage. Timothy Obiezu Post from Abuja, Nigeria. The president announced the 60-day extension for the old 200 Naira bill during a nationally televised address early Thursday. The deadline was not extended for the old 500 and 1,000 Naira notes. Buhari said the decision followed consideration of the impact of the currency transition on citizens. He maintained that the introduction of the new currency will strengthen the economy, fight insecurity and stifle illicit financial flows and money laundering. Buhari also pledged a crackdown on anyone trying to sabotage the process. I'm addressing you to identify with you and express my sympathy over the difficulties being experienced as we continue the implementation of new monetary policies. I'm not unaware of the obstacles placed on the path of innocent Nigerians by unscrupulous officials in the banking industry. I am deeply pained 
and sincerely emphasize with you all over these unintended outcomes. Buhari said more than 80% of the $6 billion worth of the old bills formerly in circulation have been recalled so far. Buhari also said the transition would hinder politicians trying to influence voters with cash gifts before and during the February 25th elections. Abuja resident Abubakar Ismail says he had hoped for better news from the president. They should have extended 1,000 naira and 500 naira, leave the 200 naira, only 1,000 naira. Well, me personally, I don't think this is a development, but half bread is better than none. Nigeria began circulating the new 1,500 and 200 naira bills in mid-December. The cash shortages have coincided with a shortage of fuel just ahead of the polls, causing heightened tensions. On Wednesday, protests over the cash squeeze hit four Nigerian states, including Edo, Kwara, Delta and Oyo. Angry protesters barricaded roads and attacked banks, burning and looting them. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Igini Konakri, a protest march on Thursday by the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution, FNDC, resulted in street fighting between security forces and angry protesters in the opposition strongholds on the outskirts of the city. The FNDC is protesting the way the transition is being managed by the military junta in power. They are calling for the lifting of the ban on demonstrations and an immediate release from prison of members who have been jailed for nearly a year without trial. Schools and filling stations remain closed in opposition strongholds on the outskirts of Conakry, Guinea, during Thursday's protest called by FNDC. Vehicles also remain paralyzed in the areas controlled by the opposition. Police and Zandrams were overpowered by angry demonstrators in the neighborhoods of Bambeto, Koza, Kagbeli, and Bailobaya in the opposition strongholds of the capital. The government called in the military and members of the presidential guard to help restore calm in the troubled areas. The military used live bullets to disperse the hungry demonstrators, and some areas succeeded in dismantling roadblocks set up by the demonstrators. Many of the angry demonstrators were arrested by the security forces and were mistreated, according to information. Abdullah Jalo, one of the demonstrators, he told VOA that he will continue to protest until the junta leaves power. He says nothing good is going on in the country and the protesters want the military to leave power. He says they are sick and tired and they want democracy. He says they are going to continue with the protest until the junta leaves. One unconfirmed report says that a boy was shot and killed by the military in Bomboli as he was returning home from school. Abdurrahmanba, a journalist reporting for the French television channel, Tevesenk and colleagues were brutalized by members of the presidential guard. Abdurrahman says the memory card in his camera was taken from him by the military at gunpoint. He says he was filming a street fighting between his and the street protesters, and suddenly a pickup full of members of presidential guards 
stopped behind them. He says they jumped off the pickup, well armed, and started firing in the air and insulting them. He says some of them pointed their weapons at them and tried to seize his camera, but he refused. And in the process, they took his memory card. He says he pleaded with them, but they refused to give his card back to him. The state prosecutor says the protest was illegal and has announced a court case against the organizers of Thursday's protest. The junta had earlier banned all political demonstrations in the country. All major political parties in Guinea have joined ranks with FNDC to accuse the junta of managing the transition alone. They are calling for the release of all political prisoners and the lifting of ban on all political demonstrations in the country. Reporting for VOA Africa, I am Karim Kamara in Conakry. South Sudan's first vice president, Riyak Mashar, is urging women to get organized and challenge the government for support. Mashar says if South Sudanese women form a union, the government will enact legislation to safeguard their interests at all levels of government. For VOA News, Juliana Saipai reports from Juba. Speaking at the end of the International Women Conference in Juba, First Vice President Riyak Machar, who is in charge of the government governance cluster, said the government is willing to work with non-political groups like women and youth union to address crucial issues as it implements the revitalized peace agreement. If you have a woman union, it will always be knocking at the door of the vice president, of the minister, the governor, the state, because woman union is non-political. It even makes a lot of programs and sells it to the ministry and to the office of the vice president and to the government. Machar says there is nothing that marginalizes women more than conflict. He advised South Sudanese women to use the current window of peace in the country to acquire an education. We have good reasons to say let's educate our girls, our women. They say when you educate a woman, you educate a nation. I think you should focus on this because it will get you the empowerment in all aspects, whether it is in government or in public affairs or in the private sector or in the civil society organizations. If you did that, then the marginalization will not be there. Your freedom will be there. Machar says women group in South Sudan have enough time to position themselves strategically before election and work together addressing the critical issues facing women across the country. The first vice president says the time has come for South Sudanese to showcase the benefit of silencing the guns across the country, which he says will create stability and attract international support and recognition. The papal visit gave us a momentum, and this international conference will also give us a momentum. When the delegates move from here, those who have come from the state, they will talk about this conference. The International Women's Conference on Transformational Leadership is the first international conference organized in Juba to address the issues facing South Sudanese women who constitute 60% of the population. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shiapai in Juba.
You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Bucky in Washington. Today is Friday, February 17. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's post and our Black History Month facts of the day. A South African court this week seized a super yacht and the properties of Equatorial Guinea's Vice President Teodoro Ngema Obian Mange. The property is expected to be auctioned to pay a South African businessman who sued him for wrongful arrest and torture after an airline deal went wrong. The vice president is also the son and presumed successor of Equatorial Guinea's president, Teodoro Obiang, who rules the country with an iron fist. Their key stock reports from Cape Town, South Africa. South African businessman Daniel Janser van Rensburg says he welcomes the seizure of the yacht and properties. He says the case has been going on in South Africa since 2016, adding that with every ruling, Vice President Obiang, also known as Theodoren, files an appeal. It all began more than a decade ago when Janser van Rensburg says he was asked by Gabriel Angabi, then mayor of Equatorial Guinea's capital city, to set up a private airline for the Central African nation. Janse van Rensburg says he worked on the deal for two years, but in 2013, Ngabi called it off and said he wanted his money back. That is when he found Tudorin Jr. He was at that time the Minister of Security and in charge of the jail, so he got authorization from him to put me into Black Beach. That is the name of the jail in Equatorial Guinea, where the South Africans spent nearly two years. He explains why he sued Vice President Obiang and not Angabi. Because he was responsible uh, for having me put into jail and keeping me there as well. You know, we had documentation from the South African Embassy in Malibu to prove this. And that they asked him a few times to speak to him, to ask him to look at this and to set me free and so on. And he always kept on refusing. Janse van Rensburg has published a book about life in prison called Black Beach. He says the prison was overcrowded, filthy, and a breeding ground for diseases. Uh, you've got uh, women and children in there. There was a little boy of 11 years old that was in there for stealing just a mango. Um, yeah, it was just by the grace of God that I actually did survive because, um, you know, there's some really horrific things that happen there, um, you know, torture and abuse sexual abuse. Eventually, the lawyer of a fellow inmate got Janse van Rensburg out. He came home to South Africa and opened the case in 2016. Although Obiang's lawyers are trying to block the auction of the properties and the super yacht, Janse van Rensburg says he hopes this is the end. Security expert Willem Els explains that Obiang Jr., 54, has been on the wrong side of the law in several countries like the United States, France, Britain and Switzerland. Al says his lavish lifestyle catches the attention of financial intelligence units who look for signs of money laundering and proceeds from illegal activities. You know, if you go to Equatorial Guinea, it's one of the poorest countries in Africa, even though they've got all of these resources. So that means that the revenue of the oil that is coming into the country is not channeled and used for the benefit of the country, but for the political elite. Equatorial Guinea's government has not yet commented on the seizure of the vice president's properties. When VOA called the country's embassy in Pretoria Thursday, no one answered. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. 
Uganda's president has praised the religious leaders for their stance against homosexual practices in the country. President Yoweri Museveni says same-sex attraction is abnormal and against African traditions. Reporter Mugumi Davis Rakarinji has more from Kampala. This week, President Yoweri Museveni offered support for the views of religious leaders on gay, bisexual and transsexual Ugandans. He made his remarks during a commemoration of the late Archbishop General Wom who is believed to have been murdered by former President Idamin Dada in the 1970s. I want to congratulate the Ugandan believers for rejecting uh, homosexuality. These Europeans are really money some issue with these Europeans. They don't listen, but it's good that you, you said please. We have been telling them, please, this problem of, of homosexuality is not something that you should normalize and celebrate. Over the years, the issue of LGBTQ equality has been considered as vile. The parliament passed a law with harsh punishments, including life imprisonment, for partners of the same sex. Yet, President Museveni acknowledges the practice has been in existence in Africa for time immemorial. I told them that it is true that there were some few homosexuals here before, before the Europeans came here. I had heard of some few stories, but it was clear that this, this was a deviation from normal. Like you can have somebody with six fingers instead of, of five. Political activist Sarah Virete heads the local rights NGO, the Center for Constitutional Governance. She says the president should focus instead on issues of governance rather than issues of sexuality. She says they distract citizens from issues of national concern. Government of Uganda has used homosexuality to divert people from failure of the responsibility to protect, failure to command and control the rogue elements in the army, and failure to be accountable to the people of Uganda under President Museveni's regime. Because government knows how homophobic Ugandans are. Religious leaders say they will push for a new anti-gay law back for consideration by parliament. For VOA News, I am Mugume. Davis Rakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. In the Republic of Congo, residents are increasingly unhappy with government efforts to curb rising prices. Compounding the problem is the recent rise in fuel prices, making it harder for people to get around. Reporter Rosie Peel has more from Brazzaville. Hermia Mulangu has been selling bread for over 10 years and it has earned enough to take care of his family. But with recent increases in the price of bread, his income has dropped significantly. Before, he paid 100 CFA francs at the bakery for each loaf of bread. Now, he says, the price of bread has increased at the bakery and now is 135 francs CFA. But when he sells it, the price remains the same at 150 CFA francs. Mulango says what seems to have caused this is a bag of flour increased from 16,500 to 29,500 CFA francs. That's a rise from $27 to $49. Hood is a bus driver. The shortage of diesel fuel and the traffic problem, it causes a means he has had double fares for a round trip. He says that we have been facing a full shortage situation for almost two weeks. The fuel is not found, 
So we are forced to buy food from dealers who sell us the can at 20,000 francs CFA. The Congolese authorities have put in place a plan to cash on the cost of food safe by exempting some essential goods from customs fees. It also granted an exemption to certain road taxes to counter rising food prices. Dieudonné Moussala is the president of the Congolese Association for the Defense of Consumer Rights. Lorsque nous constatons une insuffisance quelque part, nous, nous saisissons les autorités. He says the government's efforts are not enough. He says that they know what is happening and they accompany the competent authorities to show what is necessary to face this situation of soaring prices in the country. But, Moussala says, the resilience plan is created in offices and the plan takes time to adapt to the reality of the field. His group won't stop trying to make the authorities understand the inadequacies of this plan. As in many countries, the Republic of Congo has been experiencing higher than normal inflation over the past few years, in part because of food shortage linked to droughts and floods and the war in Ukraine. According to the National Institute of Statistics, the country's inflation rate is about 3%. For VOA News, I'm Rosie Piot in Brazzaville. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omande in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with women football as Cameroon, Senegal and eight other countries will fight for the remaining three slots to complete the 32 team that will compete at the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup Final bill for Australia and New Zealand this summer. Both Cameroon and Senegal will this weekend be in action as the FIFA Intercontinental Playoff which will produce the remaining three slots kick off in two cities in New Zealand. The Alliance Women's Tournament, the Turkish Women's Cup, is going ahead as planned. This is despite the devastating earthquake in Turkey, which has claimed 41,000 lives. Bulgaria, Estonia, Kosovo, Hong Kong, Jordan, North Macedonia, Slovenia, South Africa, Uzbekistan and Zambia are all participating in the Women's Tournament, which is part of preparations for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. The Zambia Women's National Team left it late to beat North Macedonia 1-0. Striker Rachel Kunanmaji is excited about the character in the Copper Queen's camp. Uh, yesterday's game was okay, and even though we had some errors in the finishing part, we need to work on finishing because we could have scored a lot of goals and we could have won maybe five or six. We didn't play well according to our level and everything. You know, it's more like we played their game whereby we're just uh, holding the ball without doing anything with it, like trying to be dangerous with the ball or anything. And now to the CAF Champions League. Record African champions Al Hakli will start the campaign towards a record extending 11th CAF Champions League crown this weekend after the end of their FIFA Club World Cup campaign. Al Hakli finished fourth in the global showpiece held in Morocco and will now switch their energies to reclaim the African title the lost to weighted athletic club last season. Hakli will start their campaign away from home, taking on Sudanese giant Al Hilal in Khartoum 
home and are keen for a positive kickoff. And now to cycling news. Four-time Tour de France winner Chris Froome and his Israel Premier Tech team arrived in Rwanda on Thursday morning ahead of the much-anticipated Tour de Rwanda 2023 slated for February 19th to the 26th. The Britain arrived in Kigali alongside four riders and will be making his debut at the Tour de Rwanda in the Israel cycling team's colors. In handball news, Tunisia's National Women Handball League is scheduled to begin this weekend in Monastri. The Tunisia Women Handball League president, Fatma Forati, said the league will form part of warm-up preparations for the Mediterranean Under-17 Championship scheduled for February 26th to March 5 in Greece. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. It is time now for our African-American and African history facts for today, February 17. On this day in 1942, Huey Newton was born. In 1966, he co-founded the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California, in response to incidents of police brutality and racism as an illustration of the need for black self-reliance. Newton called on blacks to arm themselves against white racism and oppression. Also on this day in 1902, singer Mariam Anderson was born in Philadelphia. Her dream was to sing with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. But like every black person in those days, Mariam was discriminated against because of the color of her skin. In 1939, Mariam was to sing at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., but she was refused permission because she was black. Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of President Franklin Roosevelt, said Mariam could sing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. On this day in 1963, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, was born in New York City. Jordan was one of the most effectively marketed athletes of his generation and was instrumental in popularizing the NBA around the world in the 1980s and 1990s. And on this day in 1891, African-American inventor A.C. Richardson invented the wooden churn, a device that made it easier to convert cream into butter and forever changed the food industry. He was a prolific visionary who invented numerous devices, including an insect destroyer. And that's it for this Friday, February 17th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Butte in Washington wishing you a great weekend. We'll see you again.